Hello and welcome to the TNX podcast. In this edition, Joe and James chat to Wales and Harlequins hooker Scott Baldwin about his new life in London, lockdown and the 60 cap rule. Scott also talks to us about his previous experiences with gambling and his advice to people struggling. Enjoy! Scott, uh, thank you for joining us on uh, TNX. Um, firstly, how are you doing in this mad and unpredictable year? Uh, it's been strange. Obviously, I moved from Wales to London to experience a bit of London life with my family and it was pretty sharp. It shut down. Um, obviously, I was out for a couple of months with a neck up as soon as I got back then. We went to lockdown, so it's been a frustrating year, but obviously, there's a lot of people worse off than, than myself and a lot of us. And how much of a relief was it uh, returning after five or so months to uh, play for Harlequins again? Oh, it was brilliant. Obviously, you get bored of training on your own. Obviously, we were allowed to exercise, but in isolation. So it was pretty tough, pretty hard going. Um, but I think it does build up a mental resilience. I think sometimes when you're on your own and you go to those dark places, um, it can aid you when you come back. Um, and it makes you enjoy it a lot more and you probably miss it. And can you tell us a bit about uh, the English Premiership? You know, how how much different is that to the uh, the Pro Fourteen? You know, the intensity, that sort of thing. Um, I think it's just more physical, more physical, and the oh, I say more physical. I mean more physical. Every single game is like playing a Leinster, Munster, those type of teams. Um, they can test a lot more uh, scrum time and opposition lineouts. So you have to be a bit more on your money there than uh, maybe maybe I could have been probably in the in the Pro 14. Uh, but they both have different different strengths. I think it's probably a bit more rugby played across the board in in the Pro 14. But saying that, we, we put 49 points on Saints on the weekend. Um, it's a pretty special group of youngsters at Harlequins at the moment in terms of natural rugby ability and the likes of uh, Marcus Smith and those type of players. So you've touched on it a little bit already, but what were your main reasons behind moving? Um, I needed a fresh challenge. Um, I knew when I was making the decision, um, I met Warren and we had a conversation. Um, I knew by making that decision, it was putting an end uh, to my current... Well, I I hadn't been in the Welsh squad um, through injury and stuff, but I knew I was putting an end to my international career for that point in time. Um, but for me, it was it was now or never. I needed that fresh challenge. Not that I'd become stale, I don't think, but I just I didn't want to finish my career only experiencing Welsh rugby um, and the goldfish bowler can sometimes be. And I think it's been brilliant for me in that respect to come outside, especially coming to London, um, whereas in Wales, you go to the grocery shop, everyone... Majority of people know who you are, whereas up here, no one's got a Scooby-Doo who you are, which is really refreshing. Um, and you take take rugby for what it is, I suppose, and I've enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I think I enjoyed it as well. When I made the decision to come to Quinn's, I enjoyed my last few months in Welsh rugby as well. Um, it was still that bit deep down in me, hoping somehow they'd still pick me for the World Cup squad, but never happened, and it is what it is. Um, I've made peace with that and uh, I'm enjoying life as a Harlequin. You said um, that it ended your Welsh career for that point in time. 
do you still bear a hope of potentially representing Wales again? Yeah, obviously, I think once I'm a player, I speak, I don't suppose I'll ever be happy being a passenger, um, if that makes sense. I don't want to be a player that's just here to make up the numbers. As long as I play professional rugby, I want to be number one at the at the club I'm at, and I still want to play for my country. Um, I obviously understand there's a rule in place uh, at present. I've been asked a few times over the last few weeks what you make of the 60-cap rule, and it's the same as it is when I left. Um, I agree with it. I think it's a good principle, but I do think they should potentially be a regional appearance or time serve, so to speak, in Welsh rugby as well, because players get capped at certain ages. Um, and if you get capped at an older age, it almost catches you um, and holds you holds you there for longer. Where you may have represented your country, uh, your club, sorry, a hundred plus times. So your service to Welsh rugby isn't just in the international jersey. So I think maybe look into a regional appearance thing as well. But look, nothing's perfect in life and. The boys that have left Wales, including myself, who haven't re-signed in Wales, um, knew the decisions they were doing when they made that choice. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. Um, you debuted against Japan in 2013. What was that tour like? Um, for me, personally, it was a little bit frustrating. Obviously, it's, 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 it's a really weird one. It's amazing to get your first cap. But if I'd only ever had one cap and it was three minutes against Japan... Um, not Japan against anyone. Um, it probably wouldn't have... I wouldn't have been uh, satisfied. Um, and I'm still not satisfied with the career I've had uh, playing for Wales. I always want more. But um, when I look back now, the feeling for my first cap was obviously brilliant. But it was the first game in the Principality playing against Australia when I was on the bench. That was... Um, the, the best memory I, I've had in terms of driving to the stadium. I remember sitting next to Warby on the way in and Gats had told me I was going on at 55 minutes, roughly. So I knew I was going to get some good game time um, and driving to the stadium. We drive past all your life thinking, I'll play there one day, I'll play there one day. And the day had come. Um, so that was an amazing, amazing moment for me and something which sticks vividly in my mind. Yeah. So you must have a lot of good memories with Wales especially in the World Cups and things. Could you touch on a few of the most special moments? Um, I think it's it's when you... In the moment, you probably don't appreciate it, but it's, it's the camps. Like, the World Cup camp was brutal in 2015. Um, I look back now and I think, how do we get through it? But they're probably when you make your bonds, your, your close friendships and so on. And I was very fortunate, um, a lot of the Osprey boys and a lot of my close friends from Bajend, where I'm from, um, come on that journey as well in terms of Reese Webb, Matthew Morgan, uh, to name a few. Um, and obviously the boys I've met over the years, Dan Bigger, Gethin Jenkins. Like, I never thought me and Gethin would be players that would have um, clicked, so to speak. But um, really good friends with Gethin and um, it's great to see him coaching now I hope he's got a bit more of a smile on his face than when he was playing but yeah um, it's that type of stuff obviously the first win against South Africa the second win and I think it was the history was uh, my first Sansa start um, so to win that play 80 minutes was obviously a huge achievement and something uh, that sits with me really special and obviously the World Cup um, 
was brilliant, but it was obviously frustrating then getting knocked out the way we did to South Africa. But uh, beating England at Twickenham and scoring against Fiji in less than a week, it must have been a pretty good feeling. Yeah, it's a strange one with the, with the Fiji uh, and England games. Obviously, I didn't have my best time at set piece, well, line outs specifically um, in that game in the first half. We lost a couple. Um, so for me, it was more of a relief we won that game um, than enjoyment. Um, but then it was interesting. People say about Gats is uh, mind games, what he says, so to speak. He instantly came up to me in the change room and tapped me on the leg and asked what was wrong because I wasn't overly amused, I'd say, um, and just said, look, it's better to have a game like that and we win, and I know you're pretty right on Wednesday. So instantly I knew I was having another opportunity on Wednesday against Fiji, but I also knew that if I uh, if I mess up against Fiji, it's probably the end. Um, but yeah, we had to travel straight back from Twickenham to do cryotherapy at three o'clock in the morning because we had the game on the Wednesday. So that was pretty interesting. The coaches had a good swig of the front of the bus and the boys were drinking water and having a few sweets on the way back. So that was different. But um, yeah, it's, it's all part of the experience, part of the journey and uh, loved every moment of it. So are there any other memories in your career that are right up there? Maybe your time with the Ospreys and winning the Pro 12? Yeah, winning the Pro 12 was pretty special because not six, seven months earlier, I thought I was not going to have a professional contract um, when Scott Johnson was there. Didn't think much of me as a player, and that's fine. That's everyone has their own opinion, and I think that's part of what, what makes rugby special. But then, thankfully for me and unlucky for him, uh, he got uh, released and Steve took over. Um, I was in Italy at the time. Steve brought me back, um, and I was involved in every game then. Uh, that season and was lucky enough to play in the final which was uh, pretty special with the team we had at the time There's something that a lot of people will remember you and the Ospreys um, about and that's uh, when on the tour to South Africa and you got bit by a lion um, yeah. could, you, could you tell us um, just a bit about the, the few days after not necessarily physically but how hard um, for you was that you know mentally and emotionally you know travel to South Africa and you can't play against the, the cheaters I believe yeah. Um, so it was, it was a tough one, really, because I didn't even want to go to the safari. Um, but we got there, it happened. Um, there was a bit of uh, bit of stuff went on, um, which probably, in hindsight, could have been done differently. Um, but everything was in the best interest for me after it happened. And obviously, we got back. There was a lot of media stuff, which was quite misconstrued, I think is the right word, um, but I had to bite a bit my tongue a bit with it. It wasn't just me doing it. It wasn't as if I put my hand in somewhere where we were told not to. We were we were told we were allowed to stroke the lions, just be careful, which obviously I wasn't that careful when I looked away to give someone my phone, but um, just got caught up in the moment and it happened. It's something, thankfully, now, um, in the moment when I went to the hospital, the surgeon said there's 50% chance I'd wake up with no hand. So that was pretty stressful. But thankfully, when I woke up and it was there and a few operations later, there was no lasting damage. So it was something I can look back on now and I, I earn, earn a bit of money on doing that, uh, after dinner speaking, which is uh, always nice. Yeah. Is, is that something um, you do look back on and sort of have a little giggle now or is, or is it something that is still quite fresh in the memory and you think, oh, I, I don't really like um, thinking about it? 
Nice. I mean, how I look back on luck, there was no lasting damage. No one was really hurt. I, I obviously missed missed a few weeks, which was frustrating. Um, but it's something I look back on now and I, I can laugh about. Um, it's a bit. Uh, I don't know the word really when people just keep like trying to make a joke about it to you. Like years on, you're like, oh yeah, that was funny. The 150th time maybe it is well mate type thing but um look it is what it is people are gonna have their opinions on it and i'd be laughing if it was someone else so um as long as someone gets a bit of humor out of it it's fine so um your captain at the harlequins at the moment the new captain alex dombrant um he didn't follow a traditional route into rugby he went through the university system as did luke northmore playing at cardiff met you also had a different start to your career working on a building site until you were 21. Um, what did that start to your career do do for you? I think it gave me a look to the real world. I think sometimes players now uh, institutionalise me at young, young age. Like, look, over 11 years, I've become institutionalised now um, as a rugby player, and it is your world. Um, and I think it probably just makes me a little bit more aware of how fortunate I am. Um, funny thing with Dom is, uh, obviously, he went to um, Cardiff Uni. If he had paid his council tax, he'd be a Welsh international by now, but um, didn't pay his council tax, so unfortunately, he's stuck with England. But, um, but yeah, look, I think it's a great way to come. I think you get to enjoy your childhood a bit more. Um, not, not your childhood, your ad- adolescence, so to speak. Um, a lot of the boys now are obviously training for your full-time professionals at 18 years old. Um, and you probably can't drink as much. You can't be your average eighteen-year-old. You have to be a little bit more grown up, which, um, in a way, is quite quite sad. But obviously, it, that's the way of professional sport, um, and that's the way it's gone. Personally, I probably wouldn't be a professional rugby player if I was eighteen. Now, I don't think I'd have the, I would have had the genetics to suit, fit the mould of what they uh, they look for now. But um, Look, I think it's, it's it's brilliant. These players can still come through, and I think it's credit to Harlequins for identifying these boys' talents from playing uni rugby uh, to then go on to the, the premiership stage. And I think Dom has come in as fresh out of uni to be at the end of that season. He was the premiership uh, team select six. So I think it's just credit to the club for their um, identifying talent ID, I suppose. Yeah, you've had some unbelievable highs as a player. But unfortunately, there's also been some lows. Would you uh, mind opening up to us slightly about maybe some of the betting issues you had? Um, so, yeah, just when I was uh, in my younger days, before I had kids and stuff, it was just something, as I say, you have uh, more money than the average person, I suppose, um, especially in Wales. Um, coming to London, you kind of realise there's a lot more money, especially in Surrey. But... Um, yeah, just it probably got it started as a bit of bit of fun, bit of timekeeping, but then spiraled out of control. Um, obviously, when you get into the international stage, then um, you get you get paid, paid well for that, and then you've gone from earning maybe I don't know a couple of thousand pound a month to having thirty, forty grand put in your bank account at the end of a campaign, and it's there, and it just doesn't seem real when you're doing it online, um, which is strange. Cause I never would do it. Um, I'd never do it on in a casino. It was always just online with roulette, which is quite weird. When I look back now, it was quite strange. It's a machine. It's always going to win. So 
Um, yeah, so had a bit of help with that. And then uh, thankfully, Steve Tandy was brilliant with that. Um, got help and uh, trying to help a few, few people now with it. Uh, I know there's a lot of young athletes going through similar experiences, um, having a lot of free time on their hands. Thankfully for me now, having um, two kids, I don't have much free time on my hands, so can't go down that route really. What, what advice would you give to anyone who is stuck in a rut like that at the moment? Um, don't be afraid to tell people. I think that was my biggest mistake was feeling um, feeling that ashamed, I suppose is the right word. Um, yes, you've made a mistake, but ultimately it's not the end of the world. If you tell somebody it can get better and it's it's the day you admit, I think, when you you have an issue is when you can start to get a nice breath of fresh air, go out, go for a walk and just your mind's a lot freer. You can focus on what you need to focus on um, to get better. Um, and until, until that point, you just won't. You'll just be in denial and uh, it's not a good place to be. Yeah, you've turned that corner now. And in terms of the future, what are your main aims? Back in the Wales team? Um, firstly, it's to keep playing well for Quinns. Um, I came here to win silverware. Um, and that's something we didn't achieve last season. We were too inconsistent. So trying to help bring consistency to the team. Obviously, we had a great result on the weekend, but we've got some pretty big games coming up with Gloucester this weekend, then Munster and Ras in 92. So try and get some consistency there, get some good results, some good performances. Um, and look, if situation changes in terms of the policy Wales have in place, or who knows, I, I don't know, but... I still have ambitions to play for Wales as long as I'm playing rugby. You've um, you've experienced rugby in Wales and England. Do you have ambitions of maybe playing further afield, France or the Southern Hemisphere? Um, I think the Southern Hemisphere is probably gone. Um, I, I don't think I'm quick enough for that uh, that game anymore. But um, no, I've, I'm enjoying the Premiership. I've I, I've always been interested in France, but again, it's just. My family's happy in uh, in London at the moment. We bought a house here, so we're pretty set and pretty happy here. Um, but as I say, you never know what the future holds. Um, but I'm just focusing on the now and just trying to block it um, in four to eight week blocks at the moment and uh, focus on performing well for the team. You, you mentioned you're now a father. How much has that um, helped you uh, as a rugby player and how much has it changed you as a person? Well, I was now my sleep. I know that, but um, <laughs> but other than that, it's just it again. It makes you realise that rugby isn't everything. Rugby is a massive part of my life, um, and it's put me in a much better place than I would have been if I hadn't taken up rugby. Um, it's made me a better person. But I also, when I come through the door uh, in everyday life now, I come in at the end of training, and I'm dad. I'm not Scott, the rugby player. I tried to switch off my um, my wife asked me to get off the laptop every now and again because I'm always watching footage and I'm a bit of a rugby nose with stuff um, but yeah I've got a much better balance in my life now um, I probably used to be very obsessive as as I said with the, with the gambling with everything I've got quite an addictive personality so um, it's trying to get that balance right and uh, my two kids have definitely made that happen There's been a lot of um, debate about uh, international rugby at the moment and you know, whether it's boring. Um, I was just wondering, what, what what's your thoughts of it, on it? You know, if you're watching the Wales game at home. It's just very attritional. I think to a player, you probably see it different to a casual fan. 
um, and you understand why why they kick in. It's the easiest way to make meters, force errors rather than making errors in your own half and giving someone an opportunity to get three points or score a try. I do think uh, there could be changes. I like the 40-20 rule that they're on about bringing in, or they have been on about bringing in for a couple of years, where it probably forced teams to put more players in the backfield to cover that space. Um, but other than that, it's pretty tough to know. One thing we were speaking about the other day in Quinns actually was um, going to 14 men maybe, but making it a bit tactical. So you could you could pick who you don't you don't you obviously you'd have to have a front row. But maybe one week you'd be playing against a big pack, so you'd, have, you'd drop a centre. The following week you're playing against a pack, you'd back yourselves against and you drop a flank, drop a flanker rather than the centre. That type of stuff. But again, it's a tough one. Um, I'm glad I'm not the person making the decisions. I'm just the person that has to do what uh, what I'm told at the moment. But the hardest thing is um, it's it's easier to coach defence than it is to coach a good attack. Um, and they're both 50% of the game, pretty much. So um, it's just finding the right way to break a defence down, which at the moment is a kicking game because you have to put more players in the backfield. Yeah, you spoke about relationships you built in the uh, 2015 World Cup um, camp beforehand. What are the strongest relationships you have built throughout your career? Um, pretty close with Reese Webb, um, obviously known Reese a long, long time. Um, Dan Bigger, very friendly with as well, um, <clears throat> to name a few. But we had a player come to Harlequins. I was at the Ospreys with, uh, years ago, Mark Thomas, who's now at Worcester. He came to Quinns a couple of months ago. And you know it's a good friendship in rugby when you haven't seen seen each other or spoke too much in the last couple of years. But all of a sudden, it's as if you've never been apart. Um, so obviously I was sad to see him go, but glad to see him get another professional contract at Worcester after working on a on a building site for the last couple of months welding. So that's been pretty special. But there's, there's so many friendships you get. In it. But it's weird. It's rugby friendships or rugby friendships. When you when you leave a club, yes, you speak, but you don't speak as frequently as, as I would to my friends who I was growing up with outside of rugby. Um, and I think it's just getting that balance. I've got a really tight-knit group of mates in Quinns now at the moment, a few of the younger boys, a few of the older boys. Um, and that's brilliant. Uh so yeah, it's just it's having it's having good friendships when you're there and just in, engrossing yourself in everything you can involved with the club you're in at the present time. Are there any coaches that had a particular impact on your career? Um, before I became professional, Gareth Nicholas, who was my coach at Penguin College, um, and Steve Tandy was a huge influence on me. Probably. He was the one that actually recommended me to get signed for the Ospreys when he was a player. And then obviously he backed me as a coach. Um, and I played some of my best rugby under Steve. Me and Steve didn't always see eye to eye. Um, we had some pretty heated discussions. But the good thing with Steve was as soon as you left that room, it was never held against you. That It was sorted, it was done, we moved on from it. Um, and he was a really good grounding factor for me um, in terms of he'd tell me straight, uh, what I needed to do um, and he, he sent me to see uh, Lady Victoria um, she was a, a sports psychologist type lady and she she just told me to work on the controllables what I can control um, things I couldn't control don't worry too much about um, and Steve was at the forefront of that um, and it was just a word and some stuff instead of going into his office saying 
why aren't I starting? It was going, she would say, go in and ask, what do I need to do to start? It's the same question, but he's not going to be on the defence because I'm asking him what I need to do rather than saying, why aren't I starting? Um, so stuff like that was brilliant. And Steve, Steve always backed and believed in me. And it's great to see him back at the top level of coaching with Scotland as well. I think they're the best defence in Six Nations, which um, to those that know Steve wouldn't, uh, wouldn't surprise him in the slightest. Brilliant, Scott. Uh, thank you so much for uh, taking uh, your time out of your day to speak to us. Um, and we wish you all the best in the future. Mm -hmm.